You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. Visit JabberjawMedia.com for more shows like this one. Hello and welcome to episode 39 of the Manage Mental Podcast, a weekly discussion on hot topics in the music biz for the up-and-comers, the brand newbies, the beginners, and aspiring rock stars of tomorrow. Yes, the struggle is real, my friends, but let us help you uncover some of the mystery that is this challenging business of rock and roll. I am your host, Mr. Blasco, and I am excited to be here today. As always, I am joined by my good friend, the co-host from the other coast, a record label owner, fellow artist manager, and master pescatarian chef, Mr. Mike Mowry. Cooking up ideas left and right, my friend. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, In the last episode, we talked about learning from other people's mistakes so that you don't make them yourselves. That was a cool episode, so check it out if you haven't already. This week, we take some questions from our loyal listeners. This is going to be killer, so let's get mental. So, Mike, what is new in your world? Well, Vlasco, I went to see the legendary band Quicksand the other night. Oh, very exciting. Yeah, and I don't know if you followed what had gone on. You know, they've got a new song out in preparation for a new record on Epitaph, which I can't say that I love the song very much. And then their second guitar player ran into some legal troubles on tour. So the band, instead of playing as a four-piece, you know, Walter Skryfel's legendary artist, you know, so many bands, most notably probably Gorilla Biscuits and then, of course, Quicksand, um, amongst other projects. But, uh, you know, he was holding down sole guitar duties while singing. Sergio, who plays bass, also bass player of the Deftones. But, you know, I'd seen a lot of reviews and was just worried that as a three-piece they weren't going to pull it off. But, man... They kicked ass per usual, so I'm I'm still on a high from that one. What about you? What's been good? That's cool, man. Like uh, like Slip was amazing. Like I mean, I love Quicksand, and um and uh, and then I kind of felt like he got like band guy ADD, where he just couldn't focus on one project for longer than one record, and it was just. And then I sort of lost the plot. Of what he was trying to accomplish so i I, i'm uh i'm happy that they're back and i look forward to getting a chance to see them i saw them back in the day and um i I would be curious as a three-piece if that if that was going to be pulled off or not but you said they did so i uh yeah you know they they played at the black cat here in washington dc which honestly you know it's one of those clubs it's been around a long time it's got a cool you know punk history it's not quite as you know uh legendary as the 930 club but you know, the 930 Club is is really an amazing venue, and if you've got, you know, the right team and, and sound guy, you know, that place sounds awesome. Black Cat leaves a little bit to be desired there, but I will say one thing that had that the Black Cat had going for it, which I think helped Quicksand, is, you know, it's got a relatively small stage, and the ceilings aren't super high. So, like, 
I don't know if this was just, you know, a little bit of mental trickery on on uh, my brain, but I, I just felt like because they were close together, they had to feed off of one another's energy even more. And like, you know, the fact that the fourth person was missing, you just didn't notice it as much. Interesting. Cool. Yeah. Well, so uh, I look forward to seeing them with as a three piece or a four piece if the other dude can pull it together. Yeah, absolutely. Best of luck to him. Not 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 a pretty story, unfortunately. Ugh, ugh. Uh, well, my good news. People have been writing in. They have uh, legitimate questions. Uh, they seem to be uh, getting something from us and understanding uh, where we're coming from. And uh, so I, I have a few. I have actually three questions from three different people today I thought we would dig into. Yeah, that, that's awesome to hear. And, and yeah, please, we, we love hearing from you guys. Obviously, uh, we will continue to dig. Blasco does such an awesome job, in my mind, of finding fun, cool things for us to, to look at and listen to. But it is also fun to, to see what feedback we're getting and kind of, you know, analyze some of these questions that come in. So looking forward to this episode. Yeah, I mean, like, you know, for me, it's like I can, you know, estimate – what's relevant and what I think is helpful to people. But really, the only way that we know exactly what you want to hear is whenever you write us and ask us questions or, or say, hey, can you talk more about X, Y, and Z or whatever. Those kind of things are really helpful and really help um, drive the podcast. So, you know, once again, thanks for uh, writing in and, and, uh, and thanks for, uh, you know, all your questions and thanks for listening, obviously. So uh, anyway, first question. Uh, hey, Blasco, longtime listener of the podcast. I was wondering if you and Mike could talk about buying onto tours. Is it a good idea for a developing band? Is it essentially the same as pay to play or is it more like a deposit to reserve the slot? I've heard people mention it and I was hoping you guys could elaborate. Your loyal listener, Rob. See, this is cool because right here in and of itself – the question means that something as an, and, and no disrespect to the listener, Rob, because when I was in your uh, shoes, I had no clue what any of that meant either. But isn't it so interesting? If I say Blasco, I got a, I, you know, Blackfield's going out. Are you guys looking at a buy on? You and I know exactly what that means. And, you know, you're either saying yes, and here's the price, or you're saying no, you know, don't bother. You know, and then, you know, if I had a developing band, which I do work with a lot of, you know, I would have to then say, okay, is it a good idea for my band? What's the price? Exposure are we getting? You name it. But the interesting part to me is he's like, is it essentially the same as pay to play? Which, for those of you out there listening who may or may not know, I would equate that statement, the part pay to play being when you're a local band playing a local market, you have to either pay the promoter money directly to get onto a show or, which is usually the case, you have to go get a bunch of tickets and return with a certain number of money. So if the promoter gives you 100 tickets and says, look, there were, you know, 10 or 15 bucks each, you know, show back up with a thousand bucks or 1500 bucks, the promoter really doesn't care if you go and, you know, throw the tickets in the recycling bin and just show up with a thousand bucks, you know, they just want the money, right? Obviously they want people through the door, but really they're looking for a way to ensure that 
you know, they're going to have some money back into their pockets. But like pay to play and a buy on are two completely separate things, which is why I find it interesting, you know, but it doesn't surprise me that many of the listeners might not know even that subtle difference, regardless of whether either of them are good or bad. Right? Yeah. I mean, look, I mean, I think to, to break it down, like you're saying, for people that might not understand uh, what this is. Um, so a buying on to a tour is there's a, a, a major national tour going out and, you know, there's the headliner and there's the support band and then there's potentially the opening slot. And what what some uh, situations have been offering is the ability for a younger unknown band to purchase that opening slot and that purchase can come in the way of just straight up cold hard cash that goes in the headliners pockets all the way down to like a marketing plan that a label can submit and that amount of income goes to things to promote the tour like a full page ad in like you know alternative press magazine or uh, you know some something along those lines to where it's like um the band isn't pocketing the money, but the the money is going into the promotion of the tour that the band would potentially have to spend on their own, right? So now they don't have to because that that you know budget is there. Yeah, um, or, or or I've seen a mix of those things. Hey, you know the price is X thousand bucks. Half we'll put towards marketing, you know, either as the the headliner chooses or we'll implement, and then half into the band's pocket. So I've seen it all. Yeah, and. The, the options for these, um, you know, is a case-by-case basis. Um, uh, like, for instance, like on the, the tour that I'm on now, the Zach Sabbath tour or whatever, the opener that we have, they are not a buy-on band. This is not a buy-on situation. We are paying them every night. Uh, I have a relationship with them and their manager. I thought that our crowd would dig them. I want to help them because I think their band kicks ass, and it's as simple as that. Um, what's, what's the name and, of that band, out of curiosity? They're called Them Evils. Okay, cool. And uh, and yeah, and they're and they're, and they're a cool band, you know. But you know, this is a situation where potentially I could have very easily offered up a buy-on scenario, but um, I didn't feel that was right. So, but that's a whole nother separate podcast in and of itself. Of if 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 it's you know politically correct to even have buy-ons in the first place, but it's really up to the it's really up to the situation. And when those situations present themselves, um, is this he's asking. Is that, is that a good investment for the band, right? And potentially, yes, potentially, no. What I've seen from my experience a lot of times is if you're going to, if you're going to invest in your band and you're going to buy onto a tour, what I see happen most of the time is these bands don't, don't look at it as a job. They just look at it as a party. And the time that they spend drinking beer and hanging out and making friends with the headliner is time that they should be spending at the merch booth, hustling music, getting to know the fans, taking pictures with people that are going to end up on social media, making sure that the, you know people are hashtagging it properly. So you're saying, you know what I mean? Like it's it's like if you're going to invest in your band and you're going to go out and you're going to do this, man, like the 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 two to three hours that you're in that venue you got to look at it as work man like not a party yeah not only that i mean i think what's so interesting is you know buy-ons seem to be much more popular uh you know i'd say 10 plus years ago and it's not to say that they don't exist now but as more and more and more bands have 
started touring more and more and more frequently, the space has become very competitive. And you're, I think people are noticing that unless you are a true, like knock it out of the park headliner, uh, meaning you're putting your band, you know, you and your team are putting your band into rooms that are appropriately sized that are probably going to sell out without any need to add additional bands. Right. And that's the case of, 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 uh, you know, Zach Sabbath right now, you guys are out in the right rooms. You're selling these tickets. Sure. If you brought out another hyped band that fit in stylistically, I'm sure it would add value to the user slash listener experience. But ultimately you don't need to do that. You don't need to give up that money out of your pockets. You guys are making sure that you're the draw and you're selling these rooms out. So yeah, even though you've opted to bring out some, you know, a band you think is cool that you like, you could have easily said, Hey industry, we've got an opening slot. Here's the price tag. And people would jump at it. As you said, that's a whole nother episode. But what I would say from my experience is you know, from from the developing artist side, there's no longer like one easy, simple thing that really moves that needle. So what I watch happen a lot is a band buys onto a tour, whether it be, as we said, straight up cash into a band's pocket, marketing plan, some combination, but nothing else is going on. So really the tour buy-on exists in a vacuum. It never, ever works. Right. Like, you know, I've got bands right now that have new records coming out that, you know, the label is putting a lot of energy and effort into. I'm putting a ton of energy and effort into. We're trying to find the best right tour. And yes, we are aggressively working on marketing plans that have dollar values associated with them that we will get into the hands of headliners that we think make sense. That's not a buy on because ultimately we're trying to position ourselves so we get an actual offer that is a cash offer that goes to the band and the label is essentially you know providing marketing support however they put that in their books whether it's tour support or whatever doesn't really matter but that's different than a buy-on um but ultimately why we're comfortable doing that is there's all these other things going on there's other momentum going on with the band so if we do get that opportunity we're going to be you know we are going to take advantage of it it's not just going to be something that's you know exists in a vacuum which like i said i i don't see that ever working any longer yeah question number two Hey, absolutely love the podcast. My band listens while on tour, and I listen all the time to get me motivated and pumped up. I would love to hear some advice on how to make the most out of a band music video premiere. My band has done many video premieres during PR campaigns, even getting a premiere on Metal Sucks, which is huge for us. Even so, it is hard to get traction. How do you stick out among all the other internet posts happening on the website you premiere on? Can you talk about your processes to make the video stand out on social media? Your loyal listener, Corey. Woo, Corey. You are tapping into the true like next phase of, you know, the music business. And and that's really, you know, how do you stand out? And even though we talk about this a lot, you're you're talking about how do you cut through in an age where nothing cuts through and everybody's trying to cut through. <laughs> yep. I hear a lot of 
labels telling me that premieres are now worthless. So a premiere is almost with certainty something that's exclusive, an exclusive time period, typically 24 hours, that a an outlet, you know, a blog or magazine that's got an associated website has the exclusive um, play of that song for that period. So um, afterwards, so it shouldn't be up anywhere else. Shouldn't be up on Spotify yet. Shouldn't be up, you know, on iTunes. You shouldn't have it on your own Facebook. You shouldn't have it up, you know, on your own YouTube. It should be an unlisted, you know, uh, if it's a video or, you know, just a visualizer, even if it's static, should be unlisted on YouTube. Oftentimes that's the file that they're using um, to premiere it on their site. As you can imagine, what they what the site, like in this case of, of their premiere on Metal Sucks, Metal Sucks hopefully supports the band, likes them and, and wants to support them, but also wants that band to go out there and say, hey, go to Metal Sucks and hear our new track, right? And so then they direct a bunch of traffic to Metal Sucks and Metal Sucks presumably his numbers go up and then they sell ads and they retire off to the Metal Sucks mansion smoking whatever it is they smoke and swimming in whatever it is they swim in. So for developing artists, which Corey, I'm imagining your band is, I still place a lot of value in premieres because the idea is that there's readers that are going to go to Metal Sucks or whatever outlet each and every day that are looking for new music. And they might click on something and say, wow, I've never heard of this band, or I've heard that name, but I haven't checked out this track. And they will go and play that band's music because of the outlet itself. The reason that I'm hearing from many labels that premieres are no longer very uh, useful is especially for more established bands because if they've built either the label has a large following on their socials or YouTube or the band does and they can reach just as many people if not more by going direct um, and not limiting it to any one particular uh, site for that 24-hour period. I'm sort of on the fence about this like for where Corey's coming from as like an unsigned band to me to be uh, have a video premiere on Metal Sucks is potentially advantageous because Metal Sucks gets a lot of traffic and and there and there's people that are like that you know that are specifically there for that type of music and if your music appeals to their their viewership that's potentially a win for you you've created some awareness for your band now hopefully Metal Sucks as a very busy blog doesn't just post it up and then bury it to where, like, you know, that visibility becomes much more challenged, right? So that's, you know, that once again is to be debated. I'm not really sure how how that played out. I think on a bigger scale, you have to, now we have to look at things of more like, I don't necessarily need the same eyeballs that I know that I'm going to get from my own social reach, Right. Like I meaning like I don't need to premiere my metal band on a metal blog because I know that that's by and large the same people are going to end up seeing it from my own socials. Right. Especially if I'm dealing with bands that have a big reach. Um, I feel like now my strategy is more to push the publicist to really try and get it in, uh, on a, in a location to where I'm going to get a different set of eyeballs. For instance, I 
the, the publicist was trying to premiere a new video that I'm putting out for one of my artists on Funny or Die. Funny or Die would have premiered the video. That would have been interesting to me because it's like that's a different set of eyeballs. And the video was funny, right? So justifiably would have been on there. But there are people that would have seen it and been like, oh, 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 that's that's a real funny video, but I'm not really into this type of music, but maybe they would be, you know what I mean? So potentially b branching off and getting it in front of more eyeballs, therefore you're developing your brand into a wider spectrum of people that are going to be aware. So that's kind of where I'm coming from these days. Labels, especially labels who have uh, a broader fan base who are asking that same question, is an outlet going to reach more people then we are going to be able to reach on our own and are we actually preventing people from checking the song out you know because you've only got so much time to do so before another song is out and another song is out and another song is out by different artists so if you're forcing people to go to you know metal sucks or alternative press or you know clairvoyant or noisy you know are you somehow actually you know, or your fans who would just prefer to have it show up on Spotify right when it comes out or, you know, get that YouTube link directly from you. Are you preventing them from paying attention to it? Uh, I've heard all kinds of different arguments. But yeah, as a manager of artists, I think just like you do, how do we broaden that reach? So again, Corey, we're going back to your question, you know, which which essentially says, how do you make your video premiere stick out among all the other internet posts happening on the website you premiere on? Uh, that That is challenging. And can you talk about your processes to make the video stand out on social media? So, you know, there's all kinds of talk and these practices happen and, you know, each and every day. I will say that internally to my organization, I am not the social media expert. I'm in a fortunate enough position where I've got other people who are the experts at that. Um, so I'm not going to comment too much on our processes um, because I don't want to, <laughs> to, you know, to go in the wrong direction. I understand fundamentally uh, what we're doing and, and can say that, you know, there's always talk about how the socials are prioritizing things with their algorithms and by using video directly uploaded to certain platforms like Facebook, you're going to get way more eyes than you are if you post a YouTube link. YouTube owned by Google is a competitor to Facebook and so Facebook has figured out and said, no, we're not going to you know, prioritize people to click and go outside of our platform. Now Facebook isn't the only place to share things, but certain things like that you really need to be paying attention to you know the the practices of the social platforms and trying to utilize uh these types of strategies to the best of your ability yeah i, I mean and look too i mean to to break down to break it down in terms of how to make something stand out look this is no guarantee but it's like be creative with the video, right? Like, I mean, make make a cool video. I know that's a very broad stroke answer, but if you want to stand out, you got to do something different. Like if it's just another video of a bunch of dudes with Cannibal Corpse shirt on and seven string guitars, like synchronized fucking head banging and jumping or whatever in some fucking warehouse and shit, like, like no one wants to watch that. 
Like it's not like you know what I mean. Like it's fucking not interesting. Like and and like I mean I remember like I always use this reference whenever we have the video conversation. I remember the Black Keys put out a video a while back, and it was a one shot, meaning no edits. It was a one shot video of some dude in in front of like a check in office at a hotel, and he was and he was dancing and singing the song. Right. And I, and it was awesome. Or you look at like what was the band like OK Go that had the the the, the um the, the yeah, video the treadmills the, or whatever the treadmill yeah. video or whatever. Granted, that's you know that's a little bit more time and effort, but but it stood out because it was different, right? And and like it's like do something funny, do something ridiculous, make it make it just a mashup of like you and you and your band guys doing jackass stuff or you know what i mean like whatever but if it's just the same old thing it's not going to stand out you have to put in some creative effort and brainstorming to come up with something that is really going to be unique and different that's for me my best advice on how to make your video stand out no you're you're exactly right i mean again if you listen to any of our episodes or you know find us in Anything that we're doing, we talk about how it comes back to the music and or really the content. Is the content good? Is it unique? That can and should be what empowers your whoever listens to it first to tell somebody else, however they tell them, text, tweet, you know, you name it, check this out. Here's why you should check this out. Oh my God, this song is so good. Holy crap, this video is so creative, so unique. So yes. That said, we realize everybody's working towards that. You know, Blasco and I are creating a podcast. Sure, we should be creating the best podcast possible. That said, we're we're doing our best within the, you know, given constraints, time frames that we've got. So, you know, if we really needed to go and try to make this thing stand out, yep, we would be out there promoting it and doing all of the things that you guys can and should be doing. So stay aware of the best practices on the social platforms. But just like Blasco said, focus on that content. Make sure it's as good as possible. Yep. And our last question. Hey, Blasco. Lately, my band has been having a lot of inner conflicts when it comes to a lot of things. One of them being songwriting and everybody being getting what they want when it comes to songs. As someone who's been in a few bands, how do you go about keeping everybody in the band happy, focused, and on the same page? Your loyal listener, Alex. Well, that sounds like one specifically that you should start with, and then I can comment after that. Well, I feel like, I mean, I have to read into this a little bit, so I'm just going to kind of guesstimate that the conflict is potentially writer splits and who has a say where. Maybe there's a guy that's a little bit more alpha male in terms of, uh, you know, bogarting the, the bulk of the songwriting and maybe people aren't feeling like the inclusion, you know, that it's not a group effort. Um and, um, and, and maybe some of the conflict is coming down to, uh, the splits aren't, uh, the way that uh, people would like to have. And look, man, I mean, there's really no right or wrong way to go about that. Um, I, I feel like, I feel like this is a common conflict that happens. A lot of, usually my suggestion is like, whenever you're all starting out 
and it's all for one and one for all and there's no money coming in yet and, and you know there's no success level yet just split everything evenly make it an even split you know what I mean? Make sure that the, 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 the song, like if everybody's in the room and everybody's contributing and the drummer's coming up with his parts and the bass coming up with his parts and the singer is coming up with the melodies and the lyrics and it, and it, and it, and it feels like a, a pretty evenly split level of contribution, just split everything equally, right? So like, and I and I always give the Van Halen example. Even that so sounds like a dated dinosaur like like thing. Like like Van Halen split all of their music evenly for whatever reason, right? It's just like everybody got a piece of eruption, which was ridiculous to think about, but it felt like for them the right thing to do. And then eventually, when success hit and it felt like some people were contributing more than others, then they changed it up. You know, they, 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 they then, you know, said like, well, okay, this song is written by this guy and this guy and, you know, these guys didn't contribute. So, you know, you're not getting a piece of the action anymore or whatever. And look, just because you have an instrument or just because you know how to play an instrument doesn't by default make you a songwriter. I will be the first to admit that even though I can play an instrument and I happily play other people's music because that's what I want to do. I'm not a songwriter. I'm not, I can't even pretend to be to, to 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 be a songwriter, you know. And and that's that's not me, you know. That's not my world. I, I I've built my little, uh, you know, microcosm of uh, of a world as being a dude that plays killer music written by other people, and I have I'm fully content with that, and I feel no uh, no emptiness in my soul because of that, <laughs> you know? No. And, and so anyway, I, my long winded point here is if this is something coming down to like conflict over songwriting splits and who does what and whatever, like my best suggestion is at the beginning stages, unless it's like an overwhelming Trent Reznor kind of thing where like I do everything and the rest of you assholes are hired guns. Unless it's a situation like that, if it's a relatively even contribution, Split everything equally in the, in the beginning stages, and whenever it grows and people sort of start to define themselves of how they contribute, then change it after the fact. Yeah, and I mean, I, which I agree with everything you're saying, and and what pops to to into my mind, which I've seen plenty of times, is you know, artist starts out, one person's the main writer, maybe two, band gets a little bit of traction, maybe they. You know, people start to pay attention to them. Band continues on. Maybe other members who initially could have cared less about writing. You know, they just wanted to be along for the ride. They were just so stoked to be in a band. All of a sudden, they've been playing for a few years. They think they're better at their instrument and or they think that they actually have what it takes now to write songs and contribute. And you get that initial member who maybe the band was his or her vision who's saying, hold on now. You know, just because you've been here working alongside, you may have even recorded on the records with us, you know, you name it, doesn't all of a sudden make you, you know, give you the entitlement to start, you know, writing for this band. And I've watched arguments unfold in that capacity hundreds of times, you know, because then you've got a guy, whether he's the second guitar player, maybe the bass player, maybe the drummer, maybe even the vocalist saying, well, why am I in this band? 
you know, yeah, I joined the band when we were 18 because you wrote these cool songs and we wanted to go out and freaking, you know, play Kentucky, Indiana and uh, Illinois, you know, <laughs> every third weekend, whatever it may be. But now, you know, I'm 23 and I think I've got the chops to, to write some songs, you know, so let me in. And you watch that tension just build. You've got the, the you know, the initial writer with their vision saying, well, I don't like what you're writing. And you got the other dude saying, well, I don't, I now know like what you're writing. You've written your best stuff, you know, and it just becomes sort of uh, frustrating and, and complicated. And you do, you end up with conflicts like that. And, you know, I think just a general takeaway, and I'm sure Blasco has had this experience, like, most band members are terrible at conflict. Like they shy away from it. They fear it because they don't want to piss anybody off, right? Because they don't know how to deal with it or want to deal with it. And I just find, and, and again, you know, since I've been doing this a long time, I was probably the same way. Or maybe I wanted too much conflict and, you know, didn't actually allow for conversation. But like, Trying to figure out a way to have healthy, intelligent conversations and see what the other person is is thinking, you know, before just assuming what they're thinking is really, really healthy. <laughs> I've watched plenty of conflicts totally get resolved. And oftentimes they, they involve an outside person. You know, me as a manager will have to step in. I've guided bands through working with therapists because, you know, the issues were far deeper and, you know, far more complex than I was capable of walking them through. And I didn't want to have to go in and play mediator. Like, you know, I wanted to, I, I can do it, but I'm, I don't have those professional qualifications. And so what I've noticed in all of those times is once the person on the other end listens and, and starts to empathize, oftentimes you, you can find a, a happy middle ground. So yeah, man, it's, uh, you know, being in a band is, is not easy. That that's, that's all I can say is, uh, it is complicated. And, you know, for those who really, really, really want it, they figure out ways to deal with these really complex issues. Well, thanks Rob, Corey, and Alex for writing in, and that concludes episode 39. Thanks to everyone for tuning in. We will be back here next week. In the meantime, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Blasco1313. We encourage you to email us any questions or comments you may have for the podcast to me directly at askblasco at gmail.com. Because, hey, people, we do the show for you. Consider it a tool for understanding this ever-so-challenging and confusing business of music. If you have listened this far, much respect to you for making efforts to educate yourselves and taking your future into your own hands. Mike, any final parting thoughts? Thanks, guys, for writing in. We really appreciate it. Um, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram, at MikeOLoop. And please don't hesitate to check out all of our offerings over at OuterLoopCoaching.com. And last but not least, we are on the Jabberjaw Media Podcast Network. So head over to JabberjawMedia.com to check out plenty of other shows like this. Um, yeah, Blasco, hopefully uh, you 
remain safe and sound out there on tour. It's crazy times, my friend. Always a pleasure, and we'll get at it again next week. Yes, thank you, and uh, thanks to everyone for uh, tuning in and writing in. Awesome. Peace, guys. This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. The number you have reached is 100.7 WMMS. It wasn't just a radio station, it was a lifestyle. Cleveland is a rock and roll city for sure. I feel like the Get down! The wrath of the buzzer. WMMS. Cleveland. The rise and fall of one of the most iconic radio stations in America. Profiles. The Wrath of the Buzzard. P-R-O-H Files. Subscribe now wherever you get podcasts.